Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets. Each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. I'm excited to have Trevor here with us today because he's talking about the patterns that we see in connection and disconnection in our relationships. And he's kind of the expert here. So uh, let me tell you why he's here. Trevor is a marriage and family therapist who shares real life stories of trial, trauma, and injury in the journey to healing. He explores topics of healing and mental health with experts and those who are living the journey. Trevor works to bring empathy, acceptance, fun, and gentle accountability to therapy. You can find more of him on his podcast, The Art of Healing, and on his Instagram, The Art of Healing by Trevor. And you'll love his Instagram. I know that. Um, it's e- You're very easy to watch your little reels and <laughs> very educational. And honestly, what stands out to me is the gentle accountability. But I think in, in probably all areas, you come across very gentle hmm. in teaching. Yeah. I think gentleness is huge. It's funny. I was talking to my wife this week about the idea of gentle. And I was like, where's the word gentle used? And I was like, the word gentlemen. I was like, what does gentlemen mean today? And I was like, dang, that's gotten way mixed up. Like there's there's nothing gentle about a gentleman's club or any of that garbage. <laughs> it's like gentle is about like taking care, protecting, holding, and like being there. And it's like... I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about that word, actually. So it's funny you bring it up. Well, it stands out. I mean, that I would say that's a really great word to describe what you are giving to the world. So mm. thank you for being here and sharing your voice with the world. Um, we're going to talk about something that you have found a lot of, um, I guess, your work is helping cu- a lot of couples, right? Yeah. In, in their patterns. And so can you just start by telling us one, how did you become a therapist? I'm always interested in why people are doing what they're doing. Totally. And a little more about who you are, where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So become a therapist was a bit of a different journey. I didn't go get a uh, undergrad in like humanities or anything like that. I actually uh, went to BYU Hawaii um, uh, primarily because I could surf every day and it was it was awesome. And so I went to BYU Hawaii and I got a, a degree in business administration. Meanwhile, I was like running my own little photo and video um, uh, business and I would shoot videos for uh, vacation rental home owners uh, out in Hawaii because there was a bunch of them and I just like call them. And back in the day, the phone numbers were public and so you could just call them all. And uh, I'd call them and shoot videos and that's what I did for a long time. And then right after school, I got I got recruited by Tesla. Um, and I went from beautiful Hawaii with like 10 of my best friends in this tiny little house, tons of fun to living in Reno, Nevada of all places. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about a shock, but I was like, I don't know. It just seemed like a really cool opportunity. I was going to go and I was working in purchasing. So I'd like negotiate contracts with vendors and find new vendors, uh, for building what we call the giga factory, which kind of kind of cool when it's finished it will be the world's largest building by footprint so it's a mile long half mile wide and it's about 75 feet tall and i was just like i had like a little three foot desk in that huge space um and i would i would just jump on the phone with vendors and i was negotiating contracts it was awesome i wound up taking another role at tesla um actually in utah because you know, Reno, Nevada is cool, but as a single dude uh, with no connections in the desert, it was a little challenging. Speaking yeah. of mental health, like goodness <laughs> gracious, um, yeah. So that was a that was freaking hard. And so I moved to Utah, took a different role for them, and uh, it was kind of like a strategic sales management role. So I was managing uh, the sales and delivery of both vehicles and solars for like a handful of states. And 
then they changed their model and they're like, Hey, we don't need strategic sales managers anymore. Like goodbye handful of thousands of people and a bunch of people on my team. And that I feel like is my first experience being a therapist because Elon gets on Twitter and he announces, Hey, we're closing all service centers or not service centers, like sales operations, whatever. And my team gets it from the customers who are walking from the front door and they're like, Hey, so we're going to get fired. And I was like, I have no idea about this. And, um, so wow. I'm doing like one-on-ones and we don't know when our, when our operation is going to get shut down or if it will, cause some of them are staying online. And so it's like each week they're just like stressing out of their minds, uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do. So, um, I got laid off around the same time I had broken my jaw in a skiing accident and, also kind of on top of that, the thing that was probably the hardest and took me to therapy for the first time was, you know, all those things. Plus I was just exiting a really difficult relationship, a lot of, a lot of unhealthy elements, um, which had left me with a lot of confusion about like, you know, am I a good guy? Like I kind of got this message that, you know, I'm a bad dude or that, um, you know, maybe I'm not quite worthy or, uh, you know, confidence just, just shook to the core, Uh, a lot of isolation in the relationship. So I I didn't have a lot of close friends at that time either, because I was just isolated from a lot of things. And, um, so jobless, kind of friendless, broken jaw. And I was like, dude, I got to get some help. So I went to therapy and while I was there, I started to realize this is so cool. Like, this is awesome. I can definitely get behind this because my favorite part of my old job was like that coaching and that training and helping and being there for my employees. Um, And so at that point, I mean, I was at the bottom of the barrel. I was like, all right, the only way it is up at this point, like, let's just go back and get a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And so that's what I did. I went to uh, UVU. I got a master's in marriage and family therapy, and uh, currently I am, uh, so there's kind of different tiers of licensure, essentially. There's associate license and fully licensed. Um, I'm in the associate license phase in Utah and uh, working also in Hawaii remotely doing like teletherapy with folks over there. Um, each, each state has different licensing requirements, but that's kind of where I am and also just trying to share good things on Instagram and uh building an online course for couples right now, things, things like that. That's kind of my journey in, I a, love nut, it. in a nutshell. <laughs> I know. And, and truly, I mean, I don't know, but most therapists are therapists because it helped them. And totally. So that's why I always want to hear why. And so I love that it's, it just doesn't sound like the norm for a adult man <laughs> just step into it and accept no. it and say hey this works this is great yeah um, for me it, I was in my 30s but when I started therapy but it was like so embarrassing like oh only people who are broken do this and mm-hmm. you know you're gonna get divorced if you're going to therapy instead of maybe we should learn some skills that right. we clearly don't have no totally and it's true it's funny I uh you know you definitely don't have to go to therapy only if you're broken. I think at that point I was pretty dang broken. That's probably the most busted up I've ever been in my whole life. So, um, it was like, okay, what are my options? But it was so, so invigorating and so cool. And I think another piece that like helped as well is that, um, I, I thought therapy like wasn't a very like financially sound path. And I started to realize like, oh, like therapists actually get, you know, compensated for the good that they do in a, in a way that makes sense. And I was like, okay, that can work. Cause you know, as you know, in our society, as a man, I have a role in my mind. That's like, okay, I'm, I'm choosing to provide, like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and that's important to me. So that was, that was another deciding factor along with just that passion, like realizing that I could make that similar change truths that I got from therapy truths that I got from therapy. Plus, you know, my, a big part of my journey was spirituality, you know, seeking greater meaning and God and things like that. And, um, that just gets me fired up. And so all that passion kind of bleeds out now into what I do. I love it. Um, Okay, so let's talk about what you do in helping couples because this, you said, is a pretty common topic for you. And 
what we all want is connection, but we find ourselves in those moments of disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, when we start to approach this topic, we have to think about the the real core fundamental need for connection and how it's almost biologically based and not just in our emotional state that we absolutely need connection in order to like thrive and survive it's not a nice like it's not a luxury per se it's it's a fundamental need you think about as a baby your survival is dependent upon your ability to connect with mom. And if mom isn't available, a mom in particular because of like breastfeeding and things like that, but um, if primary caregiver, you know, it doesn't have to be mom, but mom, dad, whatever, um, if they're not available, you're gonna die. And there's a big part of our, what we call our mammalian brain um, that picks up on emotional cues, uh, information from our primary caregivers that say, I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm connected. And that same part of our brain is working today in our current relationships. It's gonna pick up on those cues of our partner. And um, some may argue with me, but I believe that every fight that ever exists comes down to um, the, the feeling of either being connected or disconnected and the fears and longings around that topic. <sighs> I'm going to agree with you yeah. <laughs> because when you pull back that the zooming out part for me is what like snaps me back into like, oh, it hurts because I love or it's mm. I'm distant because I long for them rather mm -hmm. than they're not the enemy. Totally. And sometimes I know in my former relationship and marriage, it was it turned that disconnect would turn into we are the enemy. Oh, yeah. And it was like, wait, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what's great is that we were we were kind of approaching today with the idea of talking about negative cycles that happen between two partners. Mm -hmm. And these are kind of patterns that that we get stuck in. And we also so I'm I come from kind of the lens of what we call emotionally focused therapy, a particular model in approaching couples uh treatment and a big phrase that's found in that school of thought is that the that you and I are not the enemy, but the enemy is the cycle. Like it's us versus the cycle. And that changes the mindset like completely. When it's us versus our destructive patterns, we can see our patterns, we can recognize what they are and make something change. Like that's great. Let's put all that fighting energy towards that cycle and put all that loving energy towards one another. Oh, I love it. And it's it's just data to me when we can mm -hmm. find our own patterns or our relationship patterns it's for me it's eye-opening like mm -hmm. oh that makes sense and for me sometimes it takes someone else having giving me those eyes to see so yeah. a therapist um to to just help like have you noticed that every Sunday it's the same thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I had no idea. Sometimes we just miss yeah. what is very right in front of our face to maybe everyone else. <laughs> but Yeah. And, and you know, uh, uh, some of it's right in front of our face and some of it takes a little bit of digging. So uh, a cycle, you can visualize it as an infinity sign. And one side of the infinity sign represents um, one partner and one side represents the other partner. And what will happen is if you were to draw a line in the middle of that, it's sitting kind of horizontally, the infinity sign, you draw a line down the middle, um, above that line are things we see on the surface, like anger, it probably sits right on top of that line. And then we see maybe how we cope, our behavior um, is what we see on the, on the surface. And usually our fight is happening above the line, but below the line is where a lot of the good information comes from. And so it, if you're listening, I'm trying to make this as visually applicable as possible because it's helpful. So if you have one partner, they're coping with some sort of feeling below the line. We'll get there in a minute. They're coping with that. And so their mechanism of coping is to anxiously pursue and criticize and complain to their partner where their partner, when they see that, they receive it, we're kind of going down into the second part of the infinity sign at this point, they interpret that message as, gosh, I'm never going to get this right. I'm not enough. I, why am I trying? It feels hopeless. 
Uh, I'm going to lose you. You know, we're starting to get into negative messages and big time fears. And along with those fears, like I'm going to lose you. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be enough. There's also on the flip side, a need. I really want you to know how much I really do love you and that I do care about you and that I'm committed to this relationship, that I want to be close to you. All those attachment-related longings and fears and needs, oh yeah, we're just getting into the juicy stuff for that second partner. But what do they do? They cope with all of that. That fear kind of comes to the surface and their pattern maybe is to withdraw, shut down, leave. I'm going to avoid this situation because how do I protect my relationship? How do I make it not worse? How do I make sure I'm just not doing the wrong thing again? I'm going to shut down. I'm going to pull back. Oh, shoot. So we're on the top of the infinity sign again. And we go back down the second partner, the one who's critical. You know, usually I, I'm going to say she because it's usually um, men are withdrawers women are pursuers. It doesn't have to be that way. Me and my wife are actually flipped. Um, and so the second partner sees that withdrawal and goes, Oh my gosh, doesn't love me. Doesn't even care about me. I'm going to lose him. Yeah. It's the evidence, right? It's like the evidence in that behavior. And so they start to, they start to pursue and criticize even more. And it's like, my behavior fuels your negative thoughts and fears and back and forth and back and forth. And it's really, really cool when you're with a couple in session and you actually draw it on the board and they're like, holy crap, that's that's what we do. Like that is absolutely what we do. It's uh, And that's what we mean when we talk about the negative cycle. Yeah, so, it's, so uh, what I'm hearing is we're not alone. Like no. it's very common and oh, yeah. normal, if normal is a word, right. to have patterns in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not serving you and possibly triggering each other. (laughs) Yes. And at the same time, there are patterns of healthy connection that are very, uh, follow a very similar, you know, kind of that infinity loop pattern. I love it when I'm with couples and they've kind of, they've had their negative cycle, they know what it is, and they've changed the way they cope within the cycle. And I watch them do it in session. I'm like, oh, you guys are getting it. Like, this is sweet. And I'll draw it out again. I'm like, hey, new cycle, like cycle 2.0. We got the positive one now. Like, look what just happened. And that's another revelatory moment where it's like, hey, we have a new way of doing this. We have a new way of, of communicating around the same exact things, but in a way that keeps us close and connected. Yeah. I It is exciting. I'm not going to lie. When as a person in a relationship, when you step out of the negative yeah. and do the repair and figure out a new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. It, for me, I'm like, I wish I could share with the world. Like I'm doing something better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me. Yay. Yeah. It's exciting. And it, it feels, really- it feels good. And you know what? I think it's important to also give give yourself a little bit of grace like if you're listening today and you're like oh man like that describes me like i'm in that negative cycle like that's what i do well first of all like you said you're not alone and second of all um these are patterns that are built into you from before you could speak most of them most of them have to do with early attachment and your fears or the or feeling of sense of security within your most early relationships with with your parents they're they've been there for a long time it doesn't mean mom and dad are bad or they've done it wrong or anything like that there's just you know we're dealing with other imperfect humans and when we do that at a really young age it might create patterns beliefs ideas fears that last into adulthood yeah okay so Let's say I recognize my negative pattern. You just mm-hmm. described me to a T. Mm-hmm. Now what? <laughs> do, do I go and say, we need to get into therapy? We need to learn some skills? Is it something yeah. I can do? Yeah. So there's, as far as resources, handful of options. Uh, a, there's tons of free, really good stuff all over the place. It just helps you understand this a little bit better and get you started. Like today's you know episode, for example, we'll talk about maybe the st- the actual tactics of getting out of the negative cycle. Um, as far as therapy, if you like this idea of negative cycle and you're like, okay, I can hold on to this conception of, of change, I guess, because each, each therapist and each approach is going to have a way they conceptualize change or the problem. And if you know, there's not one that's 
quote unquote right. There are ones that have a lot more evidence and research behind them, like emotionally focused therapy. But if you're looking for a therapist, emotionally focused therapy is gonna is gonna align with you if you're feeling good about today's conversation. Um, you can also find uh, just good information, like I said, that's free. Um, you know, shameless plug. I do have an online course that'll be launching that is specifically dedicated to understanding your own attachment, understanding the negative cycle and using communication skills to get out of it. Um, Ideal. <laughs> yeah. So um, with that though, what do we need to change? Well, two really big fundamental things need to happen and it's easier said in, in a simple way than done. Um, the, the, the first is, is changing our positions within the cycle. The top of the cycle, how we cope needs to be different. We, we got to let go of criticism and pursuit. We got to let go of stonewalling and withdrawing and find a better way to be what we call more congruent with what is actually happening, the reality. And the reality exists below the line in the middle, the fears, the longings, the needs, the willingness to get vulnerable and to share that in a way that helps your partner feel invited and cared for rather than pushed away is is a big part of exiting that cycle. I like that invited rather than pushed away. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the like, no, I love you. Yeah. I'm hurting right now. And I want yeah. to be able to talk about it. But I'm yeah, I'm I love you. Please come. Let's talk about this. Yes. Yes. And it, it's so it's it's such a fine line because criticism at the heart of criticism is really an invitation and a longing and a need. It usually sounds like, I need you. I'm afraid to lose you. Your, your view of me matters to me. I want you to see how much I love you. Like all of these kind of messages are usually behind criticism, but it comes out. <laughs> yeah. It's so much easier to be like, okay, what do I need to change? Like we kind of go task oriented. Like here's the behavior that I don't like. The easiest way in our minds to change that behavior is to highlight the behavior and just like pound on it. Like, cool, you're always late for dinner. You need to stop being late for dinner. You're always, I hate that, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's just not very well received in, no. in any light. And, and I will be super honest. I'm still working on delivery of yeah. my needs and the pain that I feel in the relationship. So I'm... This is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to do, um, but I think you know with with practice and and slowing down and asking yourself, okay, what is the potential message that I'm sending right now? Kind of get on your like Google Translate ears and be like, hmm, how is he or she going to hear this? What are they going to interpret? Is that what I actually mean? I think that's a really good place to kind of start deciphering. Um, deciphering really what's what you're hoping to communicate to your partner so that you can stay connected. I love that. So one thing that I, when I do deliver well, it's usually after I've journaled and I have this prompt that I use, I, I feel, I fear, I know, and I can. Ah. It helps me find solutions, but like lets me also release some of the emotion that, you know, our fears, I can come at you with like a Tommy gun of all mm. my fears and it's not going to be helpful mm. and the pattern just keeps going. Right. And so if I can give myself a first draft mm -hmm. of like, this is what I'm actually trying to say. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, definitely. I asked that question to myself. They're not going to hear any of what I'm saying. <laughs> They're going to shut down and like run away. So first draft, second draft. So I like that question. The second draft for me would probably be asking that question. How are they going to receive this? What are they going to hear? Yeah. Yeah. And, and typically, um, typically the message is actually really great and really inviting and wonderful. Um, it's like, it's kind of surprising, especially to, you know, if we go back to the pursuer withdrawer dynamic, which by the way, it's very common. Most relationships that walk in, you know, my therapy office are in that situation. Um, and so again, don't think that your relationship is broken or something if you're there, uh, cause that's most of us. Um, the, the, especially when we're talking about, we're kind of talking about the pursuer side today a little bit already where that criticism starts to soften into something else. And a lot of times 
the withdrawer starts to have these beliefs kind of reinforced over time that they're really just not quiet enough for their partner, that, that they're just really not that valuable. It's like, okay, I guess I just like help do the dishes or take out the dog or work or whatever. But like, do I provide any, any emotional value to you? And when you hear the criticism turn into an invitation that says, I want you close, you matter to me, you're valuable, like all of those underlying attachment messages, that is a cool, cool experience for that withdrawer where they start to realize like, oh my gosh, like maybe I am important. Maybe I can have a voice. Maybe I can speak up a little more, you know, maybe get out of my own pattern uh, because I'm realizing that it starts to feel safe and I can, I can connect here. I like that. And I think for the people I get to work with, finding safety in a relationship is such a big deal. And it often starts with these words of just mm-hmm. the energy that words give and that we are putting off. And so like, why won't my partner tell me this? I'm like, sometimes our safety is the problem. Mm. We come off and me included is that more critical or harsh. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And all you, all you're doing is seeking for closeness and like, Oh man, that's even feels good to say, like you're seeking for closeness. Yeah. I'm, I, that's pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable message to receive. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And on, on the flip side, that withdrawer is doing the same thing. It's like, I'm afraid to make things worse. I'm afraid to lose you. I'm afraid mm-hmm. of getting it wrong. Like I hear that. And it's like, I can hang with that. That feels, that feels a little more inviting than, than stonewalling and withdrawing and pulling away. For sure. Well, and the underlying message is like you were both wanting <laughs> yeah. the connection and yet we're causing a disconnect. Right. right. So ironic. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the good, how we create those healthy connections. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think first there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to it, but first recognizing your cycle. If, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's hard to exit. If you don't see your position, it's hard to exit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so recognizing that cycle and a big piece in the beginning, maybe you don't know how to really, really get out, to get to that soft and that vulnerable communication, that gentle place where you're, where you're communicating in a way that's, that's kind of holding your partner's experience and nurturing the relationship. Maybe it's like, that seems too big right now. Well, we can at least push pause. I love the analogy of, um, so I, I do some rock climbing in my life. I love climbing. And, and when you're climbing, you have the belayer on the bottom who's holding one end of the rope and the climbers on the other end and they're clipped into the wall at different points. And when a climber is climbing, if they feel like they're going to fall, oftentimes they'll kind of just give their belayer a little heads up like, Hey, falling. Um, and usually it doesn't come with hay because you've got to get it out as quick as you can falling. And, uh, because the sooner that belayer can catch the rope essentially in their little belay device, uh, the less, uh, less distance you'll travel with that fall. And in certain types of climbing, it can be less painful because in certain times of climbing, you'll be kind of like above your the where you're bolted into the wall at times and you'll swing down and you can like swing into the wall and it can hurt a little bit um and so the faster they can catch you the better and i love this analogy of like calling your fall um knowing your cycle seeing yourself go into it or seeing us go into it and be like falling like hold on we are doing something and even just that especially if you reinforce the message that says i love you I don't want to disconnect from you. I really don't know how to do this much different other than just to push pause. Can we go take a break? Um, I think that if nothing else, that's a great place to start. Just calling your fall. I love that. Um, I've just recently started doing this in relation to my menstrual cycle. Um, Right before, it's very common. I have a couple Mm -hmm. episodes on this for women to feel that pull of like the world is ending. (laughs) Everything Mm. I'm doing is wrong. Mm. My partner doesn't love me. My work is stupid. I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad partner, bad friend, all the things. Um, And I feel it about one day of the month. Mm. And so the last couple months I have 
called my fall and said, mm. I'm starting to feel that pull where I'm looking for evidence that I'm unlovable, that I don't matter. And I could really use some reassurance right now. And I'm doing my part to self-soothe. And I know I can do that for me, but if you want to play a role, you can. Mm. And for, for them to show up and rather than you're on your period, you know, like right. how the world teaches us to treat a woman who's on her cycle to show right. up with that gentle love and, yeah. and give that reassurance. It's so easy for me to just, okay, I've done my part. And then look, they stepped up and now I can go on. I'm good. Yeah. I don't need to be in that fear. That's cool. Well, I love that because you're, you're combining like two ideas of, of self-regulation and that co-regulation. And there always needs to be a healthy mix of both. Again, these are elements that create a new cycle, um, kind of everything we're talking about. You keep throwing these elements in, and you'll wind up you'll wind up having a a better cycle, a, a, a positive one where positive uh, messages re are reinforced back and forth, and it keeps getting bigger. But a big part of it is self regulation, being able to realize like, and even internally calling your fault. You can call it to your partner and be like, "Hey, I'm doing this. Like, I need a little help." That's where we get in that co-regulation space. If you have a partner who can do that, um, awesome. Maybe they're not always available, or maybe emotionally right now they're not quite in that space to be able to to be able to hang with you there yet. Um, but internally, it sounds like you're doing some of that work where you're like, "Okay, what am I believing about myself right now? What's my body doing right now? Okay. Like, can I take care of me a little bit, even if I'm by myself, alone in the woods, okay. and I don't have a cell phone?" Like. <laughs> What, what's crazy is the word that I use to describe how I take care of myself in those days uh-huh. is gentle. I am uh-huh. very habitual in the way I take care of myself, but those days I have to be more gentle because I don't mm. want to work out hard. I don't really want to hang out with people. I don't want, you know, I'm kind of starting to isolate. Mm. And so I'm very habitual still. It's just a little bit softer mm-hmm. for me. And it has been this really beautiful thing to see me be able to show up for me to use my voice mm-hmm. to see that pattern. And, but like you said, with the fall of the rock climber, mm-hmm. I'm about to spiral I'm right. gonna go out of control and go into that fear. Instead of maybe being anxious, I'll pull away mm-hmm. and just who knows what's even going on, which yeah. is so crazy that I have lived that way in the past. And Mm. it's so clear as day for me to see like, Oh, if I could just speak my words and share that I am about to fall. Yeah. And I need a break. Yeah. I need to go take care of me, but also you can play a role. That's pretty mind blowing. And also like, duh, you're, you have a partner who loves you. Of course they want to help. Right. They're called a partner for a reason. Right. Like I, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's really important to conceptualize our relationships as an actual team, a partnership. Um, and sometimes we don't see it that way. Um, I don't know. It's like we're doing life. Life is freaking hard. People go into business with partners because it can be hard. They need a little more help. It's like do actually do life with your person. Let them know what's going on for you. Um, call things out. Work on stuff. Brainstorm it together. Like it's totally awesome. If if you're doing that, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're broken and that you need to be fixed and all that other garbage. It means you're you're like the 1% of the earth that's like really dedicated to like working on their relationship. And it's probably more than that. I mean, I'm probably it's, yeah, especially especially now today's. But I will say that that's a that's a good club to be in. The club that says, "Okay, we're an actual partnership and we're working super hard on this together." Okay, so you said something that I'm like, I better ask because people are going to be like, Oh, okay, cool. Um, when you say call, call it out, call things out. Yeah. So sometimes I have people who are like, yeah, when they're in their unhealthy pattern, I call them out or when I see them uh, doing, and it doesn't usually go well. No, 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 no. So I'm guessing you're meaning more calling your, your yeah. patterns out. Calling your own. Um, I think there's some prep work that makes it so you can call each other a little bit. Um, at times it does take a little bit of work first, understanding what the cycle is and being committed to breaking it together and calling it from a gentle and compassionate place. Because if you know what your partner's experiencing is fear, 
about losing the relationship, feeling not good enough, uh, maybe an old feeling from that was really born out of childhood, which most of this stuff is, and we can talk about that in a little bit. That's because that's a really important piece to understanding this cycle. But if you know all that, then that's where that that gentle approach can come in, and you say, "Hey, I'm here to help you." Like, I get a sense that right now, maybe you're maybe you're not feeling quite good enough, or maybe you're not feeling like I love you. I want to check in. I, I might be wrong. I love that phrase. I might be wrong, but I just want to see how I can help. And that's calling the fall. It doesn't mean like you're doing your crazy stuff, like quit doing it yeah. uh, at all. <laughs> no, no, you're not calling the behavior. You're not going to call like, oh, you're withdrawing. It's like, hey, I'm feeling distant from you and I want to be close. You know, start with you a little bit. Um, I'm just wondering what's going on for you. Are you feeling like you're not good enough for me again? Uh, like, help me, help me get this. And that's a, that's that's the way we can really gently call both sides. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so you are saying you want to talk about attachment. Yeah, because this is huge. Um, I think people have a misunderstanding of of attachment. You like you think you have to have like this terrible experience or childhood trauma in order to feel a particular way. But um, giving yourself is so back on the self-regulation side, knowing and understanding your attachment is one thing, but actually nurturing that part of yourself is another thing. So the story goes, let's say I had a highly anxious mom, let's say. And because mom was anxious a lot of the time, her facial expression was one of worry and she was distracted in her thoughts and it was hard for her to, to like, you know, be engaged and smile at me. I mean, there's, you've probably seen the study, the, uh, the, the, where they bring a baby in front of a mother, the mother's engaged and she's laughing and she's, you know, responding to coups and then she just goes still face and the baby gets so afraid, so anxious. And because again, that's, that's the baby's lifeline to sustenance in life and everything else. That's that connection. And so if, if even if you, you know, if you had a parent who was an addict, maybe they were distracted by that highly busy in work, highly anxious, uh, highly depressed, and it doesn't even have to be highly. It can just be on some level, little moments that you start to, as you know, a forming brain, you start to have this idea that says, huh, love and attachment is scarce. It's not always there for me. I have to watch people. I have to regulate and know if I'm safe or not, or if I can get closer or not. And cause I don't know. And you're managing this like, goodness mm -hmm. gracious, you're like three, four years old and you're trying to manage the emotional reactions of people around you, the people who give you life. Um, and that, that's going to, that's going to create, create some feelings. And oftentimes in your relationship, you're trying to repair that early relationship with the wrong person, mm -hmm. your husband, your wife, is not the same as your mother or your father, but you're trying to kind of put them in that place and make that repair, but it never feels like it's good enough because it's not, they're not the right person to do that. And that's where we start talking about ideas of, of reparenting. And mm -hmm. if, if I could make it more simple, the idea of reparenting, I think is just actively um, loving that younger part of yourself. That can be done through visualization, that can be done through journaling, but actively pursuing a relationship with that younger injured part of self so that when the negative cycle can start, your beliefs about I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, they're going to leave, people always leave me, those start to feel not quite so true because you've shown that younger self as the older, wiser other that, hey, it's it's okay now, it's safe, it's really Attachment theory is really almost synonymous with, with trauma, I feel like. Um, so that was a long rant about that. Oh, but. That's the thing is um, some of the people I've been around lately are like, I need to learn about attachment theory. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, don't we all? Yeah. Um, and it is, so the book Attached, I think is right. a great book to just start to understand um, all of that. But I have little pictures of myself all over my house. Oh yeah. It was part of me the last few years of like all the different ages of Ashlyn that need that love and that safety 
that yeah. I, for whatever reason, chose, you know, I didn't feel that. And yeah. it's been fascinating because I did have a good childhood. So my mm-hmm. siblings who are like, why, why do you feel this way? We have very different views of how we saw life. Right. And we had right. very different experiences in our family roles. Um, but honoring that we can feel the same feeling for different reasons mm-hmm. has been really beautiful yeah. for, for me with my siblings to see, like we can see that and have totally different experiences, but both of us don't, didn't feel chosen for different reasons. Mm, there you it go. Was, it's bananas, but yeah, that's the reality. So for me, I'm like constantly my adult life trying to feel chosen, mm. um, to, to recognize that pattern and to be working my way continually yeah. out of that, of and, like choose myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, I mean, it's beautiful that, you know, you're making that realization. I used to have, uh, pictures of myself as like a little tiny kid, little, little baby man all over my mirror. Um, and around that same time when I was like bust up jaw, no job, all this stuff. Um, I remember I was, it's funny. I was knocking doors, getting signatures for politicians as like my just quick part-time job thing. Uh, mind you, it actually pays really well, uh, if you're hustling, but, um, and so it was so freaking cold outside. It was like, I remember I was over in like Harriman or something and the wind was blowing. It was 12 degrees and I was just going between houses and it was the only thing I could do to stay alive. Um, and I remember coming home every day, you know, just feeling frozen, looking in that, that mirror at myself and at that, you know, younger self and trying to be as compassionate, as loving as I possibly could. You know, I, I had no idea about attachment theory or anything of the nature at that point. I just felt like, huh, I need to love him a little bit more. Um, but you just knew that. Yeah. I don't know. And I I guess maybe also I was just trying to love myself a little bit more. And I felt like that version of that version of myself seemed a lot more lovable. Like he was innocent. He was, he was just freaking cute as can be. Um, and I'm like, you know what, maybe I can start there. Maybe I can love him first. I love that you did that. And get to me. (laughs) It is though. When I see my littlest, my three-year-old self that just danced wild and they called Tasmanian devil, I'm like, but that was me. That was like fully me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love all of it. Yeah. Um, Attachment and understanding my patterns because I can swing, especially in dating. I don't know. Mm. I feel like anyone who's dating should read the book attached because there's a lot of examples and it will make more sense the way people show up. Um, but that phrase, it makes sense. Yeah. When I, when I started to learn about attachment of all the people around me and the relationships and why they were either connected or disconnected, like, Oh, maybe this is why. Yeah. And I think with every, Oh moment and this is why you either have more information that helps you to navigate and realize, okay, maybe they're not quite in a position to connect with me. And that will help me to know where I need to go in this dating situation, or it can increase. I mean, any O moment where you're like, oh goodness, that makes sense about another is just compassion. It's like compassion coming out of your mouth. Like, oh my goodness, there it is. Like, I get it now. I see them as a person who has had an experience, not as a behavior. I see them deeply and that's cool. Whether you're going to be a good fit for them or not, um, man, that's, that's a way better way to live. For sure. Um, I also feel like just understanding our partners. So I don't know, is there a test to figure out if you have what your attachment style is? Um, there's some like online and things like that. I think, um, I think when we silo into strict attachment styles, we can get a little in trouble sometimes. <clears throat> I think what's more helpful, cause it's pretty easy, honestly, to recognize an attachment style. Most of the time it's like, I either get like anxious and I pursue and I criticize, I withdraw or like I can kind of handle the ebbs and flows of a relationship. I feel a little more secure. And mind you, we go in between all of them. And depending on the, depending on the relationship, it'll look different. Uh, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't know if the, the label itself is as helpful as, I mean, it'll get you started as the underlying beliefs about self, about others, and uh, fears that go along with that, longings that go along with that. And then especially if you can connect it to past events and 
even if even if you don't remember them, even if you just know, huh, yeah, my mom was like really distant when I was a teenager. She's probably distant, you know, when I was a kid, or my dad was super anxious when I was a, you know, a kid, and I can remember that. But he's probably pretty anxious when I was three or four. Um, and there's also, I don't know, wh- when you have that compassionate understanding, then you can you can see it playing out in your relationship. You can pause, you can call the fall, you can change some things, you can self-soothe and comfort yourself. Um, yeah, there's there's just so many more options. So I think the underlying messages, fears, beliefs, longing, all of that is more important than like the style itself. Because, um, yeah. Because it's a label and labels can keep us stuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're helpful in yeah. conversation for categorizing. Like mm-hmm. today, you know, pursue or withdraw are pretty pretty big label, but there's a lot of complex stuff underneath both of those as we've kind of dug it out today. And I think for me, knowing my partners, not everything, I don't need to know their whole history, but Mm -hmm. moments like you're describing when you find those within yourself of, well, this makes sense. I do Mm -hmm. find it so helpful to share with partner of like, I just made this connection and I under it's making sense why I'm showing up this way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's really cool is, um, these, these are not conscious memories, the things that drive these disconnecting behaviors. Usually they're held, you know, within the body. Uh, as a lot of you who are listening probably have read The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, the idea that says like, okay, we kind of got this like emotional memory. It's not logical memory. It's stored in a different part of our brain. Um, but you can start to tie that to actual memory. Um, and it can be surprising. So I do sometimes in therapy, I do this a uh, little meditation basically where we try to connect our current experience to our past memories or like envision our body and we really get focused on the body and people will be like oh my gosh like I had a memory come up like I was like trying to get my mom's attention and I was supposed to be taking a nap and she she got mad at me for not taking a nap and that like that came to my mind it's like oh well that's beautiful look at that like that's definitely an attachment related memory like you know, I'm waving to mom, reaching for her, and I get um, kind of a pushback response, like, goodness gracious. Um, but yeah, that kind of meditation, some of the just being aware of the body sensations can help. Um, that's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool what, what can happen when we start to get in touch with our body. We start to actually remember things potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was me in therapy yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making some connections. I'm like, oh. This makes sense. I say no as like a quick response when people offer me help. Yeah. Because the stories of my life are like, I can do this. I got this. I don't need your help. Do you not think I'm capable? Like all Um, these stupid, stupid that I don't really believe, but I do believe. Right. Yeah. And so shifting that for me is like, oh, it comes from a place of love. When I offer service, it's because I love someone. Mm Mm-hmm. They love me. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) I can accept help. So I am a giant fan of making connections, understanding ourselves, loving ourselves. The more I understand the way I am and how I show up, the more I fall in love with me Hmm. of just that gentle compassion for like, it makes sense why I am the way I am. Yeah. And it doesn't make it like, oh, I don't have to change anything, but I can definitely be aware and conscious of my choices in how I show yeah. up. Yeah, you really can. And when you start to make those connections, sometimes it comes along with some sadness because you see yourself, your little self, um, kind of having a lack, having you know, something missing there. And you feel that, that bit of grief, that bit of sadness, but that sadness is incredibly important because on the flip side of sadness is the, is the compassion is the love. And that's where the repair starts to happen with that little self. You kind of step in as pseudo parent for yourself in a way you're, you're calming, you're nurturing, you're healing that part of your, I guess, psyche, subconscious, whatever you want to call it. You're nurturing it through, through being sad, through being loving, through being compassionate. And again, when we start to get in the negative cycle, those events that feel triggering, they're not quite so impactful because you're like, oh yeah, that was then. And this is now it's similar to healing trauma. Well, it is healing trauma. It's just, we don't talk about attachment 
as a trauma theory very often, but yeah. I, I see it as, as one and the same. Yeah. Well, Trevor, I'm going to, I'm going to let you push pause because this is all okay. so good. I hope, I hope that the listeners are, are having that desire to find more patterns that are healthy that lead to mm-hmm. uh, more healthy or the, the ones that are not serving us. And yeah, we can hopefully repair and turn into a healthier connection. So absolutely. Um, go follow Trevor. Um, they can, is this, so they can find you and do therapy in Utah or in Hawaii. Yeah. So limited international locations based on laws and regulations and things like that. If you're, if you're outside of the States, just send me a message. I'll let you know whether it's an okay or not. And, uh, but yeah, Utah and Hawaii right now, um, also the, like I mentioned, I have the connection course, which is coming out and it's all about the first portion is heightening this understanding of your own history, uh, getting some of that insight and then heightening understanding of your own negative patterns and then tools and language to, um, well, first understanding your partner as well, but then tools and language to exit the cycle through healthy communication. Everyone comes in my office. They're like, we want to work on communication. I'm like, cool. We got to get a bunch of awareness before we get communication. So that's a, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's pre it's pre launch right now, but, uh, uh, you can find all that information in like the links in my bios on social media, whether it be TikTok or Instagram. Well, I'm excited for you. It sounds like an awesome program that I'm guessing everyone could use at this point. Yeah. um, I'll, I'll keep in touch. I'll put your okay. links in the show notes so that people can find you really easy. Perfect. Uh, thank, thank you. For thank you. Thanks for being here with me today. Whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.